This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning everyone. Can you hear me? Okay, it's good to see all of you here today. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray once again as we do whenever we open your word that you will speak to us clearly that uh, you will give us hearts which are open to your instruction and we will see what a weighty matter it is to come before a living and powerful God who speaks to us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, what is the um, most embarrassing thing uh, that has ever happened to you? Okay, what is the most embarrassing that's ever happened to you? Well, I was thinking about that when I was uh, writing the sermon. I remember when I was a teenager many, many years ago, and I was invited to a party, uh, and I was quite young then, and there were a lot of older people at the party. So um, they started talking about this movie, and uh, to be in, right, I said I actually watched the movie, but actually I'd never seen the movie at all. And uh, the conversation kind of went along, and they were talking about the movie, and um, I guess, you know, after a while, you know, you get that terrible sinking feeling where you realize that people realize that you have never seen this movie that you said you watched before, and it was the most embarrassing thing that happened to me, right? Because uh, the worst thing is when you're faking it and then people know that you're faking it and that, you, you know, that you lose all credibility uh, whatsoever. But I think that what's even worse than uh, faking it and having people know that you're faking it is when you are trying to fake God and God tells you actually he knows that you are faking it. And I think that's what today's passage at the heart of it is really all about. So the big context is very important because, you know, we're coming back into the book of Isaiah. We're the last stretch now. And really the book of Isaiah, as we've been looking at it, spans hundreds of years, literally, right? So we've gone through the period of the Assyrian Empire, okay? Then we've gone through the period of the Babylonian Empire. And through these great epochs, we actually have a, a very consistent picture of God's people. And what are they like? Well, they are rebellious, they are disobedient, and they're sinful against God. So as we've been looking through the history of God's people during this period, instead of worshipping God, they worship idols. Instead of fearing God, they fear men and the nations and the kings. Instead of trusting God, they trust in alliances, politics, money, power, and wealth. And that shouldn't surprise us because right from the very beginning, in chapter 1, of Isaiah, as you can see up here on the slide, Isaiah had already spoken to the people on behalf of God, and he said to the people, look, you know, I don't want all your sacrifices, I don't want all your religious acts, your hands are full of blood, right, go and wash and make yourselves clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong, learn to do right, seek justice, encourage your oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And it goes on to accuse the the city of God, Jerusalem, of being a harlot, a prostitute, and saying that it's full of murderers and full of rebels and full of thieves, people who love bribes and chase after money. Now, chapter 1, all the way up to where we are today, chapter 55, shows that God's people are consistently like this. Right? They're, they're, they're full of sin and disobedience and rebellion. And so, because they can't save themselves, in the last section that we looked at recently, in chapter 40 to 55, we saw that God steps into the picture. So because they can't save themselves, God says, 
I will save you. And I will save you by sending this person called the servant. Right? The servant will come and the servant does two things. So the servant comes to bring forth justice. Okay, that's the first thing that God does. He intervenes into the world. He brings the servant to bring forth justice. And then the servant also comes to suffer for his people to bring salvation. Right, so there is justice and salvation, but it comes at a cost because God lays all the sins and iniquities and transgressions upon this servant so that the God's people will be saved from their sins. Now, the very last chapter that we read and studied before we looked at today, chapter 58, God says to his people, come to me, right? Come to me, come to you, have no money, come and eat and drink for free. Do you remember that? And really there are two responses to God's gift in this servant who brings justice and salvation, which is to give ear and to hear God so that their souls may live, but also to repent to forsake their wicked ways, their forsake their wicked thoughts, and to follow God's ways and God's thoughts, right? So the two responses here are, are represented visually, right? They are to listen, listen to God, listen to the servant. And secondly, to repent, to repent of what their ways and their thoughts, their sins and rebellion. Okay, so once we have that big context, then as we come to chapter 58, we understand a lot more of what God is saying. So let's look at chapter 58 now, verse 1 to 2. So chapter 58, it says in verse 1, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Now God says, shout, right? Shout it out to the people like a trumpet. Okay, so I was going to bring a trumpet to play it, but then uh, I'm not a very dramas person, right? But, but, but literally, God wants the people to pay attention, Pay attention because God is not going to whisper it quietly or drop a feedback form into the feedback box. But he wants to tell the people something very important, which is that they are fakes. They are faking it. And that's why he keeps using the word seem, right? If you look at the passage, the next slide, uh, you can click twice, right? He keeps using the word seem. The people seem to be very genuine in their faith, very genuine in their worship of God. But that's just what it seems. Right? If someone comes to you and says, you, know, you seem to be like a nice person, uh, that's not a compliment. Right? It's, it's basically saying that uh, there's always a but at the end of that. Right? Because they seem to be very religious, they seem to be very faithful, but it's only on the surface because they, they come close to God. Isn't that what it says? They come near me. They want me to come near to them. They want to ask God what is the right way. They want to know God's ways. But this is what it seems. The reality is they do not do what is right and they forsake God's ways. So they come near to God seemingly. 
They want to ask God, you know, what is the right way to do things? We want to know your ways. But in reality, they forsake God's ways and they don't do what is right. Now, God is really calling out his people. And he's saying, you know, what is worse than faking it is when you fool yourself. And what is happening for God's people is they think that by doing the bare minimum and by on the surface seeming to come near to God, seeming to ask God for his guidance, that somehow they are right with God. But God says very clearly in this passage, oh, the passage is gone now. Very clearly in this passage, that they are in rebellion and they are in sin. And I think it's very clear to us, isn't it? If you come to church week after week, if you go to Bible study week after week, you may seem as if you want to have a good relationship with God and to know God and to have a close uh, knowledge of God's ways. But if you rebelliously, repeatedly go on to do what is wrong, and forsake God's ways, then isn't it the same as what God is saying here? You're living in rebellion and sin against God. So I remember I had a colleague at work many, many years ago, uh, before I became a pastor, and he seemed like a very pious Christian person. You know, he would go to church very regularly in a church uh, which was very well respected in Singapore. He had Christian, um, you know, quotes, uh, and uh, passages on his work desk. But he used to swear, he used to tell dirty jokes, he used to pass around pirated DVDs, he used to gossip and slander against other people, you know, the colleagues and the bosses. Well, God is actually saying to this person, shout it out to this person, right? Shout it out like a trumpet that actually you are living in rebellion and sin against me. Because you know the right way, you seem to be living the right way, but actually you're just faking it, right? So recently, over the last few weeks, there's been someone in church telling me about how there's uh, someone at work that they know who keeps asking them to visit their church and they're very regular in church attendance. But this person uh, is living with their uh, living boyfriend and, 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 and regularly having uh, sexual relationships outside marriage. So, can this person really say that they are living in a way that is pleasing to God? Obviously not, isn't it? Because you go to church every week, you say that you know God's ways, you say that you want God to be near you, but yet you forsake God's ways and you are not following what God wants you to do. So God says, shout it out to these people, right? Wake them up and say, look, you are faking it and you are fooling yourselves because it is sin and rebellion. The passage goes on in verse 3 to 5, and it says, uh, Why? Oh, it's up there, yep. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed 
and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, <clears throat> in verse, this passage, it goes on to develop this idea of their relationship with God. So we've already seen in the big context, so that's why the big context is very important. right? We've already seen in the big context that God sends His servant to bring justice and salvation. He saves them because they cannot save themselves. God gives them pardon and grace. So in a sense, God is calling back His lost sheep so that they can be in deep relationship with Him. All right, it's like God, the Father, is calling back His children back into the family. So when they fast, it is within the context of this family, uh, grace, pardon relationship. Right? When they pray, they are praying to a God who is in deep relationship with them. But if you look at verse 3, what is their attitude to fasting and praying? It is a transactional relationship. Right? It is a magical Relationship. It is a superstitious relationship because they think that by fasting, God sees them and notices them and will answer their prayer. And when God doesn't answer their prayer, they, 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 they complain to God, God, look, look at how much I'm fasting for you, but you have not seen. Look at how much suffering I've imposed on myself, but you do not notice. And so God says to them, right, is, is this what fasting is to you? A day where you, you nod your head, right, like a reed, or like you lie down on, in ashes and sackcloth. A day where you humble yourself. And if I want you to notice as well, uh, the, the repeated use of the word day, a day, a day, a day, right? It may be that actually God is even going further in his criticism of them and saying, look, you're only really fasting for one day, right? Like you're only suffering for really one day uh, of uh, denying yourself where you're hungry and humbling yourself, you're lying down on sackcloth and ashes and you're bowing your head. And do you really think I'm so impressed because of this one day? And, and, and it's very impressive to God because God has sent, as we've learned over the previous week, his, his, He's going to send His Son Jesus to die as a suffering servant to bring them back, to save them and to give them justice. And yet, their relationship to Him is one of just transaction, magic, and superstition. Now, this is not some idol that we're talking about where we just go to the temple and we do a couple of things and then God rewards us with a 4D ticket, right? Uh, this is a, a living creator God who sent His Son to die for us. This is the one who sends his suffering servant to bear on himself all the transgressions of the world so that he can have a relationship with us. But their understanding of God is of a transactional, magical, superstitious God. And that's very offensive to God, right? That's why God keeps saying, is this what your fasting is all about? So that I will answer your prayers and give you things. Now, because God sees it very offensively, I thought I'll use an offensive uh, illustration. So if you don't, if you notice, right, I've got new, I've got new lenses and my glasses. Although you, you can't see it, lah, Okay. So my optometrist is in Orchard Towers. Now, for those of you who don't know Orchard Towers, Orchard Towers is like uh, infamous 
for being a place where there's lots of massage parlors, okay? So when I go to Orchard Towers, I have to traverse three sets of escalators. And when I first went there, I thought, well, you know, people here are really friendly, you know? Because, you know, when I go out the escalators, there are always these scantily clad women smiling at me. Right? I'm thinking, oh, they're all smiling at me, you know? Oh, it's a really friendly place. But actually, they're not really interested in the... Because it's smiling at me because, you know, we have some sort of... You know, they, they think I'm a very nice person. It's, it's a transaction, right? They're interested in me. Transactionally, they want my money, right? And isn't that the same way that we treat God? Oh, I suffer, I'm fasting because really all I want from God is for Him to answer my prayers. I come to church frequently or I give money to the church so I expect God to give me something back. Uh, it was quite funny because I was sitting on the MRT last week preparing this sermon in my mind and I sat next to someone, I was glancing over to my neighbor who happened to have their Facebook feed, right? Because it's sometimes interesting to see what they're looking at, right? So, <laughs> so... So I remember there was this guy and he had this quote on his phone which says, if you, if, you, if you gave God what you said, God would give you what you need. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what, what this attitude that God is complaining about is here. If I give God this, God will give me this. That's a transactional relationship that you have with God. That's a superstitious and magic relationship you have with God. And as we've looked through the whole book of Isaiah, that is not the God that we worship. That is not what God is like. God is a God of grace and pardon who desires a deep relationship with us, who sent His Son to die for us, who has brought us justice and salvation through His Son. Do we just treat God in this way? So if the first criticism of God is that, uh, on the next slide, is that we are faking God, right? We are faking God with our, you know, our externals, but we don't really want to do what He wants us to do. Then the second criticism that was meant to be shouted out to us is, we are like users. We are using God to just get Him to answer our prayers. Now, the passage then goes on, and um, I'm going to sort of split it up to, for you because it's easier to, to preach it this way. But uh, I'm going to, if you look at the passage, it's actually written in a poetic and rhetorical way. But I'm going to break it up in terms of what it's actually saying. So I'm going to read to you the passages, okay, in verse 3 and 4, uh, 9 and 13, right? So it says here, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, uh, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Okay, then it goes on in verse 9. Then you will call and the God, the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and you will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing finger and malicious talk. Okay, and again. In verse 13, it says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please in your holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not doing your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. Now you notice here that there is a repeated phrase. Okay, What is the phrase that keeps being repeated? Doing as you 
please, okay, or the, the, the general idea of doing what you want, doing as you please, going your own way. So this keeps being repeated in verse 3 and in verse 13. Right? I think I was like repeated like four times, okay? Now, doing as you please, going your own way, uh, doing what you want, is seen in three ways, I suppose. In verse 3, they exploit their workers, they quarrel and they fight and they're violent. In verse 9, they use slander and malicious talk. And in verse 13, they break the Sabbath. Now, actually, there are two main categories, okay, or two classes of sin and rebellion that God seems to be focusing on here. Okay, the first one really seems to be focusing on greed and materialism and self-centeredness and selfishness and self-focus. Okay, that's why they exploit the workers, right? They exploit the workers because they want more money, more material gains, more material goods. And that's probably why God criticizes them for not keeping the Sabbath. Because people generally don't keep the Sabbath because they are working on the Sabbath. So God's people were not keeping the Sabbath because for them, making money, material things, was more important than honoring the Sabbath and resting. And that's probably what they were praying for, Okay, so they were fasting and praying. What were, they, what were they asking God for? What were they expecting God to answer them? They were probably going to pray for material things because that's consistent, right? They're exploiting the workers. They, they want to they work on the Sabbath. So probably what they were asking for God was material things, material goods, material success. The second class and second category of sin seems to be spoken or mouth sins, right? So slander, gossip, or even on the Sabbath day, right? Uh, they, were, they were speaking idle words, okay? So they were not watching their tongue, uh, which in the book of James, you know, we were looking before, it sort of talks about how your tongue needs to be controlled. Now, in the big context again, if you remember in Isaiah 55, what we just read last, uh, the last time we were looking at Isaiah, God said that to benefit from God's grace to, to receive God's pardon, to receive the suffering servant, justice and salvation. God said in Isaiah 55 very clearly, let the wicked forsake his thought, his ways, the evil man his thoughts, let him turn to the Lord and he will, mercy, he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what is happening in chapter 58, as we look back to chapter 55, is they, God's people are, are not forsaking their wicked ways, neither are they forsaking their wicked thoughts. They are not following God's thoughts and God's ways. And God's ways and God's thoughts are like the moon from where we are, from the earth, right? So they're focusing on themselves, focusing on greed, focusing on material success. They are slandering and using malicious talk and speaking idle words. And this is completely different from God's ways and God's thoughts. And that's why, if you look at uh, this passage, which I've broken up for you again, 
you see that what God wants from them is completely 180 degrees different from what they are currently doing. Because God's ways and God's thoughts are like the moon or the heavens compared to where we are, which is the earth. So in verse 6, God says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cause of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And again in verse 10, And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And again in verse 13, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. So here we see that God's ways and God's thoughts are completely 180 degrees opposite of the wicked and uh, the, the, the rebellious, sinful ways and thoughts of God's people. Instead of greed and selfishness and self-focus and self-centeredness, they are to be outward-looking. They are to free people from oppression, freedom from oppressing them. They are to be generous. They are to share food with the hungry, open up their houses to those who, have, who are travelers. They are to clothe those who have no clothes. They are not to speak idle words. They are to watch their words carefully. So what does your Christian faith look like? Okay, I want you to put yourself in this picture, right? What does your Christian faith look like? Is your Christian faith characterized by doing your own thing? Or going your own way? Or doing as you please? Or is it following God's ways and God's thoughts? Are you greedy, selfish, oppressive, slanderous, gossipers, uh, speaking idle words? Or are you generous, hospitable, caring, uh, other people-centered, uh, watching your tongue. Because as God said right at the very beginning of verse 1, right, shout it out to the people like a trumpet. If you're doing all these things and you're following your own way, then you're just faking it, right? You're fooling yourself. You're still living in rebellion and sin. You have not received this living water and this eternal bread and this grace and pardon from God. Now the passage uh, really then ends in uh, verse 8 to verse 14. And if you notice, there is, uh, there is this uh, structure within chapter 38, uh, 58, right? which is a if, 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 then, then, then. Right? If, 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 then, then, then. So again, I've broken it up for you, but it's, I want to show it to you. right? So in verse 8 it says... Um, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. Then, sorry, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. He will, you will cry for help and you will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, 
And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be, sorry, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And in verse 14 it says, Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, someone once uh, taught me before that the structure of the sermon needs to reflect the structure of the passage right, as close as possible. Uh, so, actually, if you look at this passage, it really ends on this high point or this high note of these awesome pictures or awesome images of God's promises of the future. Right? This is what it will be. Right? So if you do all this, if, 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 then this is like the picture of what it will be like. Now, what is it going to be like? It's going to be light and darkness, right? It's going to be restoration, healing, righteousness. The glory of God will guard you. You will have strength. You will have abundance. You will have joy, refreshment, like a well-watered garden. You will have feasting and you will have a wonderful inheritance. Now, why does God uh, end in this way, right? Why does he use the structure of the ifs and the thens? Well, I think it's a bit like a holiday brochure. Okay, so uh, for the last few uh, years of my life or decades, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, right? So, you know, I was very happy when the scoot said they would fly to Hawaii, but I think it's cancelled now. So, you know, if you look at the holiday brochures of Hawaii, uh, you know, they're full of these uh, really beautiful pictures and attractive pictures of greenery, uh, nature, beaches, right? So, you know, like, wow, I really want to go there now. So, you know, that sort of thing, right? And, and this is what I think God is, is trying to show to, to the readers and to his people. He's saying, look, 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 this is what is in store for you. This is what I've done for you for free uh, through Jesus dying on the cross, through the suffering servant dying for you and bringing justice. This is the vision of the future, light. Life, healing, glory, satisfaction, joy, restoration, abundance, all these things, inheritance. You see, if you think about it again, coming back to the attitude of uh, God's people, their religion was a very tiny and puny religion, right? Uh, unfortunately, many people have the same tiny and puny religion. Their religion was just based on religious acts so that God would answer prayers of uh, material things. And that's what many people have today, isn't it? Uh, for many people, religion is just about doing religious things, going to religious places, giving money, so that God will answer small, tiny, puny prayers of passing my exam, even though passing exam is important, right? Maybe winning 40 tickets, right? Career, uh, house, children. But God is saying, look, Look, wake up, right? What I'm offering you is so much greater, right, than, than, a, than a 4D ticket or, or, or passing an exam or a career. I'm offering you this great vision of the future where there is 
awesome abundance of blessings, of the joy, the light, the life, the healing, the the restoration, the abundance, the, the wonderful inheritance that is awaiting you. So as we come to the end of this passage, really what it's saying to us is, what is your faith like? What is your relationship with God really like? Are you just faking your relationship with God? Do you really think that God can be faked out? Or are you just fooling yourself? Are you just using God? Are you just a user? You think that God is just this little genie where if I do a couple of religious things, then God will answer my prayers. Because at the end of the day, that's really sad, isn't it? Because God is offering so much more and he's doing it for free because Jesus already died on the cross as a suffering servant for us. So at the end of the day, do we really have a living relationship with God through Jesus? Do we see God the Father as you know, having a family relationship with us? Someone of God, of a grace, of pardon, which is imagine, unimaginable? Or do we just see ourselves playing church? You know, instead of Christianity, it's churchianity. Right? Because in the end, we're not faking God, we're just uh, fooling ourselves. If your life is full of going your own way, doing your own thing, living the life you want to live, pleasing yourself, rather than living God's way and thinking God's thoughts, uh, then really uh, you are still living in rebellion and sin. And God wants to shout out to you, to wake you up and say, look, uh, you're really fooling no one, but you're only fooling yourself. And you need to really change and to listen to God and to repent and to live God's ways and to think God's thoughts. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to search our minds and our hearts to ask ourselves, what is my relationship with you? Am I just trying to fake my way through this relationship where I pretend to know you, pretend to know your ways, but actually live my own way and do my own thing and do as I please? Is my life uh, one where I'm just using you, where I do religious things? Uh, perhaps uh, come to church, uh, give money, do one thing or another, thinking that you will answer my prayers? Dear Father, help me to examine myself to see if my focus is on my ways, uh, full of greed and self-centeredness, full of self-focus, full of um, unguarded words, slander and gossip and malicious talk. Dear Father, help us to recognize that your ways and your thoughts are as far away from my ways and my thoughts as the heaven is from the earth. That you want me to be hospitable, generous, kind, loving, other people-centered, to care for others in real action, to guard my words, uh, to genuinely uh, be seeking you and to be pleasing you in the way that I live. Dear Father, may my eyes be lifted up from the tiny and puny things of this world that uh, I long for and to see this great future that is given to me for free, this wonderful inheritance which I no longer have to work for. 
the joy, the light, the healing, the restoration, the abundance, the strength, the glory, the, the guidance, and the wisdom. And to hold on to it so that indeed I will not be led astray by anything in this world. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.